Good morning, everyone. Nice to be here with you again today. And uh, we're continuing our series on living values, it's called. Uh, We all know what values are. Values are those fundamental beliefs that that we take on and that really govern the behaviour of our lives. And so what we're doing is we're going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew from chapters 5 to 7. And we're, uh, we're looking at what are the values that Jesus is trying to teach us and how can we put them on um, as followers of Jesus in our lives. Now, the, the, word, um, the, the phrase Sermon on the Mount, um, it's, it's really just called that because it says at the very start of chapter 5 um, of Matthew that Jesus went onto a mountainside. Um, but I reckon it's also another good reason why it's called Sermon on the Mount is because when you really hear it, when you really take it on board, it feels a bit like you're climbing a mountain. It feels like you're climbing uphill. Uh, when I was um, about 15 years ago, I went to Nepal and I um, I'd climbed some, some mountains. And some of the days you, you sort of met with a bit of fear and trepidation because it felt like, okay, it's just going to be five hours of steps today. Um, and so I, I said to you uh, last time I preached, and I'll, I'll say it again, that um, as you go along hearing the message of, of Jesus through these, um, this series, you will find your conscience pricked. You'll, you'll find yourself challenged in your behaviours, um, in your thought life, parts of your hearts that you kind of hoped you could just keep hidden um, tend to come to light. And I want you to realize that that's good. Um, that's, that's, what, that's what God's trying to do in us. Uh, that's what Jesus is trying to do for us. Um, and so some of his, his words are tough, and um, they're tough for me to even preach <laughs> because I look at it and go, oh, man, that's hard. But, um, but it's realize that it's, um, it's in the context of, um, of this dynamic relationship that we have with God. So just quickly, um, talking, just to give you a little bit of a picture of the uphill journey we've been on, um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at um, anger. And um, we, we learned that Jesus wants more than just for us not to kill each other. But he, his intention is for us to have stronger relationships, the ability to love when it's hard. And so in order for that to be true, to, to really work, we have to be mindful of our anger response. No flying off the handle, no harboring resentment and building up vengeful desires, um, not doing and saying things we'll re- we will regret, but being quick to work towards reconciliation and forgiveness where possible. And see, that's not just Jesus isn't giving us that message just to be tough on us, but so that we will have strong relationships with one another. Um, and last week, we, Jesus spoke against lust. And the intention there is for us to value one another beyond outward appearances and beyond our own selfish motives. Um, this will lead us towards more life-giving and safe relationships where people are more deeply valued and boundaries are honoured. And so you can see um, there's, there's goodness, even though it's a tough walk. 
And today, our living value is to be people, to be a person of your word. I think that we're going to be looking at two commandments of Jesus today, and they both speak of being a person of your word. And so I want to, um, I guess, challenge you today to be people that are honest, people that are decisive, people that are faithful. One last little introductory word is um, if, you, if you've been coming along and you haven't really been challenged much or you, you haven't really had anything to think about through the week, um, I suggest that you haven't been paying close enough attention to what's happening in your life. Um, I, I'd hate for this series to, to come and go and for us all just to stay the same. So really try and see this as, a, um, as an exercise, just like climbing a mountain. <laughs> all right. Because uh, there's, a, there's a guy called G.K. Chesterton. Who's heard of G.K. Chesterton? Yeah. Um, an old English uh, guy, very witty. Um, good to, to read his, his, uh, his stories as well. And he, he says this. He says, The Christian way has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I actually think that that's um, largely true. Um, for many of us, we, we say, I'm a Christian but how much do we really work at um, at letting Jesus to let, letting Jesus change us from within? Before um, I get into the topic of the day, I, I also just want to remind you of the key, really the key to to hearing these words and not letting them stress you out and not not letting them make you think, oh, I'm just a sinful person and I'm not good enough. Thanks Jesus for reminding me. Okay, because that's not that's not the purpose of of this. Um, I want you just to think back over the characters that you've met in the Gospels, okay? Um, I'll remind you of a few of them. There's the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance before it was due so that he could indulge in wild living. And then when, when it's all run out and he's desperate, he returns and then he receives a homecoming party from his father beyond expectation. Then there's also, do you remember the story of the tax collector who he w- walks into the temple and as he does, he, he recognises his failures and he, he doesn't turn around and leave, but he prays. He prays for mercy. And he, Jesus says, goes away blessed and forgiven. And then there's the woman who was um, brought low in her life who anoints Jesus' feet in gratitude and goes away blessed. Um, the disciple who denies he knows Jesus three times, Peter, only to be forgiven and reinstated. And then there's the repentant thief who's welcomed into heaven even while dying on a cross next to Jesus. And there's numerous people who are um, demon-possessed, it says in, in the Gospels, who, um, who are healed and are able to re-enter his community, their community whole. These ones, these people that I've just mentioned, they, they've, got it, they've had it wrong in their life. They've, their lives have made desperately bad turns, whether it be their fault or not. Um, they, but they, what they do is they come humbly to Jesus and they are the ones who are forgiven, transformed and rewarded. So those who are, who are proud of how they've done everything right and they, those ones that feel superior to others, and somehow feel that God owes them something because of how good they've been, they're the ones that are not open to God's blessing. 
in the Gospels. So this is Jesus' great reversal, and I, I want that to stick strong in your head, okay? He turns religion, as we normally think of it, on its head. We thought that we came to God by getting it right, by being better, that he'd help us out as long as we'd be good. But lo and behold, surprise of surprises, we find that we come to God when we realize we've got it wrong and we run into his arms for help. So Jesus turns that spirituality of achievement and perfection upside down. Your life is not a system of rewards and punishments that God meets out um, as some kind of harsh teacher or judge. Um, But instead, it's a living, dynamic love relationship with our gracious God. So at the near, like a couple of verses back in Matthew 5, I guess the disciples are thinking, if all this is true, if Jesus has really turned things on their head, then does Jesus really still care about goodness anymore? Or are we all just accepted and it's great and let's all just have a big party? Well, Jesus says, no, I definitely care about goodness, guys. Um, He says, I haven't come to abolish the law, to get rid of all those laws. In fact, I've come to fulfill them and I'm asking of you a deeper and a fuller commitment to goodness. But it's all possible in this new context of a deep friendship of trust, safety, mutual love with your loving God. Does that make sense? So we're in a different context. So he is asking a lot of us, but it's within that loving, safe, trusting relationship with God. And out of this abiding friendship, flows life, distinctly good life. So he calls us salt of the earth, light of the world. He says, welcome, learn from me, walk with me, see how God loves you, and in the security of this faithful friendship, let me write goodness on your heart. So good for us to remember that Jesus' forgiveness, as well as his commands, have the same purpose, the deep help of his people, the restoring of our lives, our salvation. Remember that Jesus' very name, the name Jesus, um, in in uh, Hebrew it's Yeshua, it actually means God saves. And he saves both through his tough commands and by his forgiveness. So we need to cling to both. All right. So the two commands that we're looking at today, um, Jesus He gives these commands, um, and they're about people being, um, us being people of our word, okay, about letting our yes be yes and our no be no. And they help to create a good world where trust and love are the norm. The first first command is, is against divorce, okay? And the positive goal that Jesus has here is that Jesus wants his disciples to love our marriage partners deeply. He wants our marriages to be relationships of trust, safety, mutual love, much the same as that relationship that we have with God the Father. Jesus wants us, to, therefore, to hold marriage dearly. So the good news, is, especially for those who are married, is that obedience here is about buying flowers, uh, partnering with household chores, 
being honest, giving kind words, celebrating your spouse and um, finding ways to honour them. So that's a pretty good job to be given, isn't it? Um, that's your job for the week. That's, that's a good job to have. The second uh, related command that Jesus gives is about, it's against oaths, okay, so or vows. And um, what Jesus wants here is honest, straight talk and responsible follow-through of what you've agreed to. So he says, you don't need to swear. You don't need to say, oh, I swear by my mother's grave or I swear by God or I swear by heaven or swear by any other thing. He says, just say yes to what you want to say yes to and do it. Say no um, and don't do that. Be honest, be straight. Um, and, th- and then we create a world where honesty and trust is normal. How good's that? Pretty good, if you ask me. Let me just quickly read the actual um, passage. I think it should be up. Yep, there we go. Okay, so let me read this. Jesus says, You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. All right. We're going to, um, to look at what Jesus says about divorce now. And I'm just wanting to, uh, I guess, to say, to recognize that talking about divorce can bring up a bit of pain for people. Um, those of us who have broken relationships um, and those who've maybe experienced their parents or other close loved ones get divorced. And I just want to say that my aim here is definitely not to rub salt in any wounds. Um, I, I sincerely hope that you'll be encouraged and strengthened by what I have to share this morning. And I also just want to say that if anything does upset you or um, you, you, know, or you want to talk about something a bit further, um, I'd be more than willing to do that. Um, hopefully after the service, and I'm sure Lynette and David would would be happy for that too. All right, so for us to understand Jesus' intention here, it does actually help to look at the setting of his day because it was fairly different to to our setting um, today. So in Moses' law, back, um, you know, back in the, uh, that you'll read back in the Torah, first five books of the Bible, um, There's a law that Moses um, gives the people with guidelines on divorce. And um, it was considered a civilised act at the time because what was happening was ancient men who held all the power, they had had all the sense of ownership of everything that they had, what they were doing was they were dismissing their wives very easily, knowing that they could always take them back 
if it ever pleased them to do so because usually the woman had nowhere else to go. So they could just, um, you know, take a woman to be their wife, say goodbye, take another person. And then if it felt, oh, yeah, actually, I, I like my old wife, they could, they could just do whatever they liked. So this law um, that, that Moses instates here, it, it meant that a man at least must provide the woman he divorced with the dignity of a document indicating that the divorce was his decision, not hers, and so freeing her to be married again. And the intention was to hold back that the male chauvinism and arrogance that dismissed wives at a whim. And what it at least did was put a legal right into women's hands, if not a sense of self-respect into their hearts. I think it would have been just um, really hard to be a woman back in those days. Um, in Jesus' day, the, the, because he, he was living in the, in the Jewish uh, um, culture, that was their law. And so there were many debates among men about this law. And the battle was um, over right interpretation was a battle between two words. Which, which word do you focus on? Um, do you want to put up Deuteronomy 24.1? No, I think it's back. Oh, there it is. Okay. So this is just the start of it. It says, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found in her some indecency. Okay. Um, and this is, I, I just want you to, to realize, like what, think what's going on in the hearts of these men who are with Jesus, who are having this discussion, right? So some of them focus on the word some. And, and what they're saying is, well, some indecency so that could just mean any indecency. So that could mean like I don't like my wife's, I don't know, whatever, um, whatever, like one's tiny little thing. Um, while others would say no, the focus is on indecency, and and it should maybe only mean the ultimate indecency of marital unfaithfulness. And so they they had all these kind of sexist strategies that they were trying to use to cover up their moral failure. Do you know what I mean? Like. Do you, have you ever done this where you say, where you know something's kind of morally not right, but you try and just check the technicalities because you go, oh, well, technically it's okay because I've I read it in the law and I've interpreted it this way, so now I'm okay. And that's, and that's really what, um, what's happening here. <clears throat> so in Matthew 19, Jesus thankfully says a few more words about divorce because in Matthew 5 it's really short and kind of abrupt. And it gives you a little bit more of a picture of what he's trying to say. So, in it's up on the should be up on the screen again. In Matthew 19, some Pharisees come and they they're wanting to test Jesus. So they're they're actually wanting to see what's he going to say about this this kind of um, sexist big discussion that the men are all having. Okay, and so they they say to him, uh, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason?" So they're basically saying, are you someone who thinks about that word some or are you someone who, who focuses on the word indecency? And <clears throat> Jesus doesn't really want to have in a bar of it. So what he does is he reminds them of um, God's original intention of, of marriage. He reminds us of the Genesis, um, the, the intention that's written in Genesis. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that the beginning, um, that it, at the beginning, the Creator made them man and female, and said, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and son and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Um, yeah, so that's his aim, is to, is to return them to God's original intention to institute marriage at all, which was for the equal dignity and lifelong union of a man and a woman in marriage. But the, the Pharisees won't, won't sort of take that, so they, they want to um, ask him another question. If you just go to the next screen. So then they say, why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? It's like, why did, why did um, Moses say it was okay if you're saying it's not? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. So Jesus is basically saying that law was there as a concession because of how hard-hearted and terrible you guys all were, you know. He was trying to, it was just a, a concessionary law. But he wants them to make it clear that they can't, um, what they can't do is cover up um, legally their, their moral failure um, in, in what they're trying to do. So you can see that there's a, there's a different setting. But in today's world, sadly, we still have the same battle of the sexes going on. But there's also a sense when you hear what I've just shared about the details of that argument going on. You, I don't know. Um, I guess it depends on your circles. But I, I kind of I feel that we have come a long way and um, we have a generally more even playing field than, we, than certainly Jesus back in Jesus' day. However, there's still um, a, a long way that we can go. Um, we have also have, I guess we have some different issues with um, in terms of marriage, and, and one of them's the um, the big issue of the day, um, to do with same-sex marriage and and whether we as a nation um, should uh, allow that to um, you know should, whether we should say yes or no on our little vote paper. Um, I'm going to leave that to the side <laughs> for today because I feel like there's enough to say about um, about divorce, uh, which is actually part of the scripture that's been said. So um, one of the things as well that's, uh, that's I guess, a, a, a picture of, of what's going on in our day is that we have this culture that values personal freedom over commitment to marriage. And so there's been this sort of cultural shift over quite a while um, to devalue marriage, um, maybe put it in the too hard basket, and um, because then it frees us up. And um, sadly, what we don't realise is that when we do that, we actually are destroying the faithful context that marriage needs to thrive. I've got, um, there's a, back in the 90s, um, well, I'm, I'm still a, a big fan of music, but I, um, I used to like this guy, his name was Pedro the Lion, right? That, that was his artist's name. And uh, he always wrote really interesting, thought-provoking lyrics. And he actually wrote a song about um, exactly what I'm trying to say about our culture today, and it's called Options. And it really um, shows us that this idea that we can be free by being on our own is a false idea, um, and that, uh, that marriage is God's way to place us in the space of trust that we need to thrive. So let me just read it. 
He says, we were walking, holding hands with our bare feet in the sand and the seagulls overhead when I broke the spell and said, I could never divorce you without a good reason. And though I may never have to, it's good to have options. But for now, I need you. But for now, I need you. But for now, I need you. And then he goes on, but it was only in my head because no one ever says what they really mean to say when there's so much at stake. So I told her I loved her and she told me she loved me. And I mostly believed her and she mostly believed me. Can you see how within that, within that context of wanting to be free from each other and not fully wanting to, um, to, to be faithful, um, that we actually destroy the very thing that God intended in marriage? So let's see through that false idea of freedom that says, just say yes until you want to say no. Uh, just going through a few details of what Jesus says, because I feel like we need to really um, get to the heart of what he's saying. Um, he, he says, in the case of sexual infidelity in a marriage, the person does not so much divorce an unfaithful spouse as he or she recognises that a divorce has already occurred. Um, a divorce has already happened in reality. A legal divorce simply recognises that reality. But um, in obedience to Jesus, uh, particularly thinking of, of the last couple of weeks, um, particularly Lynette's message about anger and reconciliation, I think that the offended person will seek reconciliation, repentance from the partner, and, and perhaps even their own repentance, and mutual forgiveness. Um, the, the person who's a follower of Jesus will seek for as long as possible to do that. But there are limits because there's only so much that you're in control of in, in those sorts of situations. But according to Jesus, even when a marriage is over, a Christian's faithfulness to their spouse is not. The overwhelming central conviction that Jesus teaches, and, and it's there through, throughout the New Testament as well, is that whether married, separated, or divorced, the Christian will still seek to remain faithful to the other person till death do us part. So Jesus doesn't want divorce, but where there is divorce, he doesn't want remarriage. Jesus' command, what he's doing is he puts a firewall around a married and even around a divorced couple and he writes on that wall, do not touch. Um, this couple belongs together for life, even when they are not together. Pretty, in, pretty intense and pretty uh, culturally subversive to, to, what's, um, to what our culture is these days. But that's Jesus' message to us today. So I guess there's two questions that come to my mind that um, are probably in your head too. Is there ever a time when... Um, we should get divorced, <laughs> when I would recommend divorce. I, I would say yes. I would say when a marriage has become the absolute tragic opposite of the freedom and life that it was intended for, when it becomes abusive and even a danger to those within it and perhaps those around that couple, and all attempts at reconciliation and healing are failing, uh, it, it can be the best of two tragic choices, which are stay in the marriage or get divorced. 
But it's always a tragic choice, but it, it, it can be the best choice. The other question that, that I think, um, well, I, I think the thing to make sure we realise is that it's not, in God's, it's not God's intention. Um, but sometimes things, um, you know, sometimes it does happen. Can God's blessing ever rest on a remarriage after what we just heard? I think one answer to this question surely is this. Is there forgiveness of sins in the gospel? And I, I think the answer to both questions is yes. So when you do, when you do wrong in some way, we, we, and we are repentant and we say, um, oh, I need to change, I need to, 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 be, to move into a new way, we, um, we are forgiven. And this isn't, it's not like, because uh, divorce is a public thing and it's sometimes really, that makes it so much more difficult, doesn't mean that it's something that God doesn't forgive. So the answer to, to, those, to, those, to the question, can God bless, um, can God bless a, a remarriage? Um, I think you have to say yes. There can be bless, God's blessing on a second or even a subsequent marriage because, yes, there is forgiveness of sins for the, um, for the really sincere, repentant person. So divorce is never the intention of God for our marriages. In divorcing, we can only believe we're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes it's a necessary wrong. And we do so with deep heartache and repentance. But for precisely such believers, there is indeed forgiveness and there's acceptance and there's opportunity of a new life and even a new marriage. All right. The, the last, just the last little thing to say, I want to just to return to our, our main theme today, off, um, away from, from talking specifically about divorce, to talk about um, what does it mean for us to let our yes be yes and our no be no, to be people who are um, people of our word. Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce, I think, is a specific example of a broader morality that he's leading us into here. He's saying, live in assumed truth. Be people of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, in uh, Eugene Peterson's version of, of that little section in Matthew 5 about, about say, not saying any vows, um, but, but letting your yes be yes and your no be no, he, he, focuses, um, fairly, he focuses a lot on, on being honest in our speech. And I, I thought it was worth re- repeating. So this is what um, the message, Eugene Peterson's version, um, says. He says, don't say anything you don't mean. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it, or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Um, So Jesus says, so just say yes and no. When you manipulate words, to get your own way, you go wrong. Uh, I, I thought that was, um, that was quite, uh, yeah, just quite, quite good to, to think about um, how often, especially in a church context, we can, we can not be honest um, by being a bit pious with our words. I'll pray for you when we, know, we never intend to. Um, but we love God and each other by following through with what we say we will do and by being honest with our speech. Saying yes is not always easy. Sometimes, even when we're saying yes 
we're already pulling back um, because every yes brings with it new duties or, or tasks. Um, so you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. Then, then that's, you know, that's, that means you have to follow through and do it. Um, otherwise, you're, you're, you know, you're not being a reliable person. It's also not easy to say no. Um, sometimes our most heartfelt and vigorous no withers fairly quickly because all too soon our good intentions um, to change that behaviour begin to feel like we're deprived and we've lost something. And I reckon um, one piece of advice that I've found is that if you really want to say no to something that's, that's not helpful in your life, the, the most effective thing is to find a yes to fill that hole, all right? So here's a, a silly example. I want to say no to daytime TV shows, <laughs> okay? I want to say no to that. It's bad, but, I'm, but for whatever reason, you're attracted to it, okay? So then you say, um, what you, you know, if you just say no to it and you're sitting there and the TV's off and you're going, I'm saying no, there's just this sense of there's a hole, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's really hard. Whereas if you say yes to volunteering at your local op shop, it becomes a lot easier to say no and to get rid of the habit of daytime TV watching. Does that make sense? So you say yes to something, and it, and it makes sense not just in silly little things like that, but in, in actually, um, yeah, in bigger, bigger things too. Um, in fact, I think that's a key thing for people who have serious addictions, um, is that if, we, if we're able to say yes to something new in our life, it can help us move away from, from that addiction. So we love God and each other by being decisive. Um, that, I think that's another aspect of, of uh, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Not floating along, neither saying yes or no, but actually being decisive. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no. And we've come to the point, to the end of, our, of, of the message, where you are going to do that because it's the time for you to give um, a response. So I, I encourage you to get out the response card that that's, um, you would have found in your, uh, in your circle this morning. And um, what I'd really like you to do now is spend a little bit of time just thinking about um, what's jumped out to you in, in the message today. Think about the, the living value that we've been speaking of. What does it mean for us to be a person of our word? What does it mean to, for us to be honest, faithful, decisive? So look at the decisions. Maybe you could, you could look at the decisions and choices, things that you've done, things that you haven't done, attitudes you've had over the week. And I encourage you to write, some, write a response uh, to Jesus today. And these are the questions that I've got um, up on the board um, for you to, to consider. What kind of person am I becoming in my daily choices? Am I honest, decisive, and faithful? That's a good introductory question to think. Because the choices that we make, the things we say yes to, the things we say no to, they, they decide really what, what sort of person we become. To those who are, who are married here, um, uh, I want us to think, how can I say a decisive yes every day to being committed to my spouse? What does that mean for you? Um, what can you do not just to float along, but to say, 
yes every day to the fact that you're married to this person um, and you're committed to them for life. What would be great is if you came up with at least one thing that you're going to say yes to or no to and that you can work through in the week ahead and in the, in the coming weeks. So what new yes or no do I want to say today in response to today's message? What can I share? Uh, so who can I share my yes or no with for support and encouragement? Really helps you to actually put something into action if you tell someone else about it and have a bit of accountability. So that could be another question, something to ask yourself. I'm going to leave you. There's going to be a little bit of music playing. And um, let's, let's have a bit of time of, of responding. Thank you.